Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Pactum. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pat Abendroth, joined in studio with Mike Grimes, who seems to have the Shekinah glory. Oh, oh wait, wait I a can second. Understand. Wait a second. I've got better theology than that. He has the, <laughs> the penultimate. Oh, I just wanted to use that word. Mike Grimes has the penultimate Shekinah glory. <laughs> Mike, where have you been? I have been at a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. Of course. Oh, oh man. So I know you try to have a pretty good fanboy game. How, how was your fanboy? Fanboy game. It was pretty good. You know, COVID put a little bit of restriction on my fanboy game this go around. <laughs> but he, you know, every concert I go to of his, which has been several because we have several listeners. Oh, Mike had to go cr- across multiple state lines, yeah. probably numerous bodies of water. Oh, at least uh-huh. a couple rivers and streams. There you go. And every concert I go to of his, I promise you, and I tell people this all the time, you can think I'm crazy. I don't care. I promise you, he recognizes me. He sees me and says, oh, hey, there's Mike. There he is. Good to see you, man. I, it happens. Good. I'm glad you had a moment. Now, yeah. is that the saddle up your horses guy? Oh, yeah. That's all. See, I, Look at I you. have a pretty good memory. Look at you. That's a, there, did yeah. he sing that song? Of course. Yep. Dude. All the hits. All the best stuff, man. He, nice. It's incredible. What an very, experience. Very. I'm glad you had a good week last week. Yeah, it was fantastic. My week was, um, let's just say we had a flood at my house. You did? We did. So, uh, it's because you, know, you said swimmingly on the podcast. <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> what happened? Our Pactum listeners don't really want to get into this, but I have a two-story house because, you know, I'm on the Pactum. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the master bath um, faucet came undone, unthreaded, or whatever it is, the handle, and we had a little geyser oh, in my bathroom. No. So I'm glad we were home, but it went all the way to the basement. Serious. Yeah, not so fun. Not so fun at all. Oh, no. But I don't think I lost my sanctification over it. I certainly didn't lose my salvation. That's... But... Uh, I think we have an insurance claim in our future. Oh, so, man. Wah, 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 wah. What a bummer. That was my week last week, but somehow we rallied. Enough about that. Today we're doing episode 43. Yes, episode 43. I, I could not be more eager because we're going to talk about two of my favorite subjects. Episode 43, we're going to talk about hermeneutics, science and art of Bible interpretation. And I love talking about that and how we can really help Pactum listeners interpret the Bible better in the Protestant tradition. I can't wait to do that. And then also my second favorite topic, probably my best favorite topic, most favorite topic, we're going to talk about assurance, how Christians can have assurance because of the perfect, secure, sufficient work of Christ. We can have absolute assurance of salvation. This is going to be an awesome episode. I'm I'm not entirely sure if we're on the same episode here, you and I, because... I, what are you talking about? That is definitely about? not what we were going to talk about today. Uh, what? Owen and Owen the Covenantalist. We're going to talk about covenant theology on this uh, episode. <laughs> I kid you just a little bit, Mike. <laughs> I know we're scheduled to talk about John Owen's book, Reformed. It's not John Owen's book. Carl Truman's book. Yes, on John Owen. John Owen, Reformed Catholic Renaissance Man by Carl R. Truman. We're doing chapter three. We're leading a discussion, to getting you to think about uh, Owen and his theology through... Truman's insights. But I know if we're talking about Owen and covenant theology, we are therefore talking about how to interpret the Bible because uh-huh. it is a hermeneutic. It is, yes. Uh huh. And assurance. Uh huh. Because if you have covenant theology in its classic, good, and biblical sense, you have a basis, a foundation, a sure way to have assurance in Christ. So, well, there you go. We did read the same chapter. We did then. read the same chapter. Uh huh. <laughs> and 
listeners, if you would stay tuned to the end, we know you're very loyal and faithful and you do always, but at the end of the episode, after we work through the Carl Truman stuff on John Owen at the end, after we're done talking about covenants and covenant theology, we will be talking about assurance and we will be talking about hermeneutics and why and how it's so important to us in a practical sense. So if it gets a little thick because the chapter got a little thick, uh, just know there, there is a a practical take home at the end. that we can benefit from. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about John Owen. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, he was an influential English Puritan. He lived from 1616 to 1683. Uh, So that's who we're talking about, and that's what this book by Carl R. Truman is about. And so this chapter, chapter three, we're going to be looking at is called Divine Covenants and Catholic Christology. Why, Pat, would Carl R. Truman, name the chapter Divine Covenants and Catholic Christology. He keeps saying Catholic, and we probably should bring it up again. We're talking about universal. Right, yeah. And and Owen, I say goes out of his way a lot, but I'm going to say it again. (laughs) Owen seems to go out of his way, or at least Truman goes out of his his way, because we are thrice removed. He goes out of his way to make the point that Owen is not trying to be novel. In fact, Truman says, I like what he says. He's the remarkable thing about Owen is he's trying to be unremarkable. Yeah. Yep. I like that. Yep. So he's, or, or another good word, repristination. Yes. There's repristination, but anything but novel. Uh huh. So Owen is trying to drive within the well-worn path, trying to do things as has been done before him, unless he can't because of scripture, right? Unless he needs to deviate or unless he needs to deviate in a certain sense to address the errors of his day or right. potential errors. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good title. It's good to keep saying Catholic. I say Catholic more and more because I want to remind people that we don't want to be biblicists. Sure. We don't want to reinvent the wheel because it'll be square. <laughs> we want to be Catholic, not in a Roman Catholic sense, but in a lowercase c universal part of the once and for all delivered to the saints church. Yes. Oh, wait a minute. The once and for all delivered to the saints faith, faith. <laughs> that the church has always confessed is how we want to get that. One thing we do notice in this chapter, and Truman brings it out regarding Owen, is he does need to make some shifts away from what was being promoted and had been promoted by Roman Catholicism at the time. So he is making some some deviations, some biblical deviations, as he talks about Jesus, as he talks about Christ functioning as mediator. Hmm. So there are definite developments that need to take place in light of what Scripture says, in light of Protestant insights. Yeah. How is it that God relates to human beings via Christ the mediator? Right. And it's definitely going to be a deviation. Now, he, Owen's going to do his best to to not deviate away from the quote-unquote sacred tradition right. insofar as it's biblical, but it had become unbiblical. So he needs to bring the church back, and he's going to be doing so by emphasizing the mediatorship of Christ. So yeah. he's not trying to just wreck everything and do iconoclasm. Ooh, I wanted Ooh, to use that word. There it is. I remember nice. the first time I heard that word, I had to look it up in a, in a literal dictionary, no. uh, pre-smartphones and that. So he doesn't want to just smash everything and start over. Right. But what he wants to do instead is say, all right, we, we do have to talk more Think more clearly, more biblically about what it means for Christ to be our mediator and how sinful human beings can relate to God. Yeah. And that brings us to the matter of covenants. It does. So Uh when we think about covenants, just how important uh, is the topic of covenants? Truman says it's going to be on the level of supreme 
Yeah. So it needs to be on the level of supreme. It's super important, the matter of covenant. I looked it up one time, and it's over 300 times just the word. And mm. we don't get our theology from word studies on, right. the, on the pactum. Right, right, right. But it gives you an idea. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible talks about covenants just in the word alone. So obviously, it's important. There's something we need to know. Truman says, Owen's understanding of God's dealings with humanity finds its supreme articulation through the notion of covenant. Mm. So how do we as human beings relate to God? Well, first and foremost, at the front of the line, we have to think in terms of covenant. Covenant, Uh huh. When I was working on my dissertation, there was one guy who's not a covenant theologian, but he wrote a pretty significant book regarding covenant, the theme of covenant. Mm. Uh, And he said this, he said, even when not mentioned explicitly in the biblical text, covenant is seldom far from the surface. So I, I, I picked up on that because even if the word isn't used, the, the, the sense is close by at least, right. if not implied. Right, right. And then he says, one, one cannot faithfully expound or explain the Bible. This is from a non-covenantalist. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Without paying particular attention to this important theological trajectory. Hmm. So there are covenant fingerprints everywhere, even if you don't find it via word studies as it's used 300 times. Right. So the idea permeates, and we definitely see that in John Owen, the idea permeating. Truman brings that out, and for you who are listening, uh, it seems as if that idea is everywhere. Don't take our word for it. You'll have to look for it yourself. You'll have to read and do research yourself. We'll try to further convince you today, Hmm. but the word is used all over the place, but it even seems by friend and foe alike, uh, serious Bible scholars are going to say the idea is definitely there. So we better talk about covenant because covenant is vital. Covenant is important. We haven't even defined covenant. We should probably, for our listeners, if you're just joining us or you don't know what a covenant is or you're unsure what we're talking about, uh, a covenant is a it's a formal agreement. If, right? we, if we say that, we're saying enough, at least for now. Right, yeah. It, it gets us going. John Fesco says that's a passing grade, right? It's the, an agreement. I think that is a passing grade. Better than a yep. C. And I'll make a confession to you, Mike. Here this word is all over the place. Not only the word, but the, the idea is permeating Scripture. I was pretty far into pastoral ministry, and somebody asked me what a covenant is, and I was like, uh, duh, uh. Uh. And I tried to give him some sophisticated, crazy <laughs> answer because I have degrees, and I, never again. So it is an agreement. It is a formal agreement. We can build upon that. Right, right. There. But let's keep it pretty simple. Yep. And when it's used that often in Scripture, we'd, we'd better have an answer. Pastors uh, <laughs> and... And non-pastors alike, so we have both who are our friends. Yeah, so now that we know what a covenant is and how important the topic of covenant is, what's then covenant theology? One super simple definition I found is this. Covenant theology serves as an organizing principle, I like that, Mm -hmm. that shows how biblical history and theology form a coherent, systematic whole with a unified message from the Garden of Eden to the New Jerusalem. Hmm. Might be worth repeating, yeah, but you yeah. can just hit rewind. Yeah. You can push that 15 <laughs> push second. Push that 15 second a couple times. That's right. And you'll get back there. So it's an organizing principle. Yeah. So how the Bible unfolds and it all holds together as a whole. There's a unified message. It goes from the very beginning to the very end. 
Uh, yeah. That gets us some traction, I think. Right, yeah. So we're thinking about covenants and how we can read Scripture in light of a covenantal structure of organizing it in those covenants. Is that what we're getting at? I think that works. I think it was J.I. Packer who said it is a hermeneutic, mm-hmm. which I think is a good way to go. Some people lost their ever-loving minds because he said, it's a hermeneutic. <gasps> oh, he admitted it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a hermeneutic, because it. Com- but it, you start with the Bible, and you read the Bible, you read the Bible, read the Bible, you read it with others, and you try to sort things out. How does it all fit together? And you say, you know what? It fits together covenantally. Mm-hmm. And now when we go back and read it, let's not start over from scratch. Sure, yeah. Let's keep in mind what we learned and we should read it covenantally because that's what we found while we were reading it and studying it. And then I can pass that baton on to somebody else and say, when you read the Bible, you can learn from others and you can read it through a covenantal lens. Mm. Uh, you can read it um, as a hermeneutic, you can use covenant theology. So really what we're talking about is the co- three, three covenants, uh, three overarching covenants. You're talking about the covenant of redemption. You're talking about the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. It's otherwise known as federal theology. Yeah, yeah. So Pat, when we're talking about covenant theology, federal theology, as you just mentioned, we're not talking about a millennial view? We are not. We, oh. are, we, are, we are not talking about amillennialism, postmillennialism, or premillennialism. We're not talking about the timing of the rapture or any oh, of those things. Man. So ask for your money back from I anybody that's what we were gonna be that at. tries to tell you that that's what we're talking about. We <laughs> are not. Uh, so, you know, a big part of this whole thing for me as far as getting into it was studying justification, mm-hmm. which is our next right, ep- episode. Yep, yep. And before you know it, if you really start digging in deep on sola fide, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone, before you know it, you're going to get into covenant theology. Yeah. You're going to get into the matter of the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. It's it's inevitable. So I do like the definition in Elwell's Dictionary. No, it's called the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology by Elwell. He's the <laughs> editor. Basically, covenant theology is a way of approaching and reading and interpreting the scripture, looking at the scripture through three covenants, theological covenants. Mm. So covenant of redemption, covenant of works, and covenant of grace. He doesn't say anything about all of those other end times oh, intricacies. All the spicy so, stuff. Huh? Yeah. So in theory, you could have all any of the different millennial views sure yeah. I believe in covenant theology so we, we why can't we be friends why can't we be friends <laughs> we should we, have a whole episode where you sing we, a lot <laughs> <laughs> we can all be friends uh, because really we're dealing with matters that are primarily related to soteriology in my opinion right so bringing the matter of covenant theology back to John Owen how did Owen and others uh, how did they come to a covenantal understanding because as we've mentioned uh it isn't from Bible word searches, and I know he didn't have his Bible software that he he wasn't he wasn't using logos right, right. He wasn't or using for logos. those of you who like to say logos logos it's okay <laughs> we, we we accommodate both kinds of listeners on the pact yeah so where do they get their covenantal understanding at then Carl Truman says it is a conceptual vocabulary ah mm. yep developed in a careful relation to both and there there are four things he names important things yeah exegesis actually interpreting the Bible linguistics, Mm. conceptual, number three, conceptual reflection, and number four, Trinitarianism. Mm. 
So that would be Truman's argument. Where did this come from? Why did, how did they come up with covenant theology? Well, it wasn't because it was handed down to them by the pontiff or the vicar. Right. It, it wasn't because of sacred tra- tradition. Right, right. What it was is, let's really think about this. We have a, tra- a Trinitarian God. We have a God who's different from us. How is he going to relate to us? What does the Bible say? Right, how do yeah. we understand language? When we think about these big philosophical concepts because they are because the Bible has philosophical context uh, concepts. And what we end up doing is we say, all right, it seems as if we should talk about this in terms of covenants. Right. Yeah. So it's a cheap shot to say, Oh, they just kind of made it up or they were just philosophizing. Yeah. Uh, I would love to put anyone up against John Owen in a (laughs) spiritual arm wrestling opportunity. So we use labels for shorthand concepts, ideas. The old one we keep bringing up is Trinity because we won't find it in a word search either. Right. Yeah. Mike, I was trying to figure out how to illustrate this, how we use words and how we use labels. Hmm. Maybe it would help Pactum listeners. Maybe it wouldn't, but I was thinking about s'mores. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I want some more s'mores. Is that where the word came from? You think? I don't know. I'm sure. It it tastes so good. I need some more. has to so think if we had a friend come from another country or they weren't familiar with these things, and right. we, we went over to the Grimes household, we had a little backyard fire, fire yeah. and we made some mores. We had the graham cracker, we had the marshmallow, we had the, the chocolate. And do you like yours burnt, Mike, or do you like I them? I don't. I don't like the burnt mallow. Me either. I want uh, it just uh, nicely brown. Uh, and I like to do it too. I don't like to eat them that much, yeah. but I like to create the perfect yep. one. It's, yeah. it's all about the process. It's the, uh-huh, I love it. Yeah. It's a good part about being a dad. Yep. So if we invited them over, they, they made the, they enjoyed this wonderful thing called a s'more. And then they, because they just moved to the country or whatever, they went to the local grocer mm-hmm. or grocer. It's okay. <laughs> they went to the local grocery store and they went in and they walked up to the person working at the grocery store and said, where, where do I go to buy the, buy s'mores? Yeah. Well, may, hopefully that person would be accommodating and say, well, the marshmallows are over right, there, yeah. the chocolate's over there, graham crackers are over there. But apart from understanding how it all works together, the shorthand, we call them s'mores. You don't go to Hy-Vee grocery store or Baker's or Kroger or Ralph's or wh- Publix. Publix, well, yes. yeah, or, or wherever you go, you don't go and buy s'mores. You right. go buy the ingredients, and now we have a label shorthand. We call them s'mores. Is that helpful or not helpful? I think it's helpful just to think about there's a, there's a label that people know, and they know what that means, even though it's, you know, you wouldn't go in and say, hey, I need to make a three-item treat, <laughs> and I need, I mean, come over, come over to stuff? my house because we're going to have... A, a graham cracker and then chocolate. Hopefully it gets melted a little bit from a marshmallow and we roast them outside on a fire with sticks. Right. Yeah. Plus it allowed us to talk about food on this there episode. You go. There so you that's go. A, that's a, speaking of food. It's uh, a conceptual reflection. Right. Right. It's a conceptual reflection. There you go. Covenant theology, covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. Speaking of food. What speaking were you of food. Say? Well, for those listening, maybe two years from now, it's Thanksgiving week. Here while we're recording, what's yes. your what's your big Thanksgiving food that you guys do? Big oh, is there like a traditional thing that there is. the Abendross have to have? Or there do? is my my mother, the matriarch, who's in heaven now, mm-hmm. so she understands covenant theology better than any of us yes. because it's true and heavenly. So, but I <laughs> but I digress. We have cranberry salsa Ooh. at our house. Oh, yeah, cranberry salsa good. with. 
Oh, yeah, it's tasty. What do you dip in you, the you, salt? Is it just a chip? You use or? any kind of chips you okay. want to use. But mm-hmm. you use like fresh cranberries. And I don't know how you do it all, what you have to boil, what you have to do. Fresh jalapenos. Ooh. And for the life of me, who knows what else? Because I don't make it. I just eat it. <laughs> you just eat it. <laughs> but that's kind of the weird outlier. Cranberry salsa is always, always, always a hit because it's sweet. Mm. It's a spicy. It's spicy. <laughs> <laughs> And it, and it's tasty. So this year we're going to Molly's mother's uh-huh. house, and so I bought a already smoked turkey, really from the local smoker All smoker right. dude. It was sixty two dollars. Thank you, President Biden. Wow. How about at the Grimes house? What are you doing? Are you gonna are you gonna fr- you're not gonna fry a turkey? No are you? way. No 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 no. You know we I'm not a huge turkey guy, and uh, my wife and kids aren't either. So usually it's ham. Uh, we'll be over at uh, my parents. And I think I knew this about you. House. Yeah, I think so I knew it'll this about you. they'll do ham and turkey. My dad will smoke a turkey. He loves to smoke meat. He does a great job. So I'm looking forward to some smoked turkey. I'll get into that. But we don't have anything kind of off the norm that we do. I mean, everything's very standard fare. We've got the green bean casserole. You know, all that kind of stuff. Well, back to Owen and covenant theology. We were talking about what did, what what they... did Owen have for Thanksgiving when they celebrated breaking away from. Never mind. I he have he no would probably idea. kill the pe- never mind. I have no idea. So let's let's zero in a little bit on this chapter talking about Owen Covenant theology. What is the chapter zeroing in? Isn't yeah. that offensive? Isn't that from the kamikaze pilots? I I really have no idea. I, I think you need to check your privilege. I apologize. Let's let's focus a little bit here and really I was gonna say hone in, but that's probably bad too. Let's focus our attention. You can't now. say anything anymore. <laughs> you can't. Let's focus our attention on the covenant of works. The covenant of works. What does the chapter tell us about the covenant of works besides lots and lots of things? (laughs) He does. We're skipping a lot of the things he talks about just for the flyby since we were talking about kamikazes. (laughs) This is the the flyover just for Pactum listeners. Right, yeah. Truman notes that by Owen's day, the concept of this pre-fall covenantal agreement between God and Adam in the Garden of Eden was commonplace. Hmm, yeah. So in Reformed theology, at least, this is ordinary, this is common. So people, if you said covenant of works, the covenant, sometimes it's called the covenant of nature, right. covenant of creation, creation. Yeah. but it's this pre-fall Adamic covenant between God and Adam. Yes. Uh, this is just normal. Yeah. So they weren't living in Looney Tune theology day, theological days like we are in... Right. In, non-Catholic circles. Back then, it was kind of standard fare. If you said you're Reformed, you believed in a pre-fall covenantal arrangement. So, And Owen stresses it. Owen talks about it. Owen assumes it. And one interesting thing is, John Owen does talk about the fact that God is not obligated to do this. Yeah. Because um, God is God, and he's not obligated to do anything. And so he condescends, which is a good word. um, If you're a theological student, which you are if you listen to the Pactum. Yeah. We don't mean to speak to you condescendingly, <laughs> but God condescends. He stoops down to accommodate, and it's because God wanted to. God was free to do it, and he chose to do it, not because he was obligated to do it. That's the first thing that Truman talks a lot about, and we're not going to talk a lot right. about it. Yeah. Yep. But what we do learn from Owen about the Covenant of Works and from Carl Truman is that it is this agreement, it is this covenant between Adam, the representative of the human race, mm-hmm. between Adam and God, and Adam is required to do certain things to gain eternal life on behalf of everyone he represents. Right. So he is to, to quote Jesus later in principle, he's to do this and live. Yep. He and all of his, big word, 
posterity. Posterity. So it is federal representation. It is covenantal representation. It is the covenant of nature, covenant of works. And we see that it led to condemnation because he sinned. He didn't do what God required of him. He sinned and it led to condemnation. I'm thinking of Romans 5 um, because what happens through the second Adam or the last Adam, Jesus, as our covenantal head, our federal head, uh, for all he represents, we have justification, Mm. which is the positive side of condemnation. So Romans 5 really is important here. And Owen and others like him unlike some people today, think it's a good idea and appropriate to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Right, yeah. So, yes, let's read Genesis 1 to 3. Absolutely. Yeah. But since we have one divine author who wrote all of Scripture through human agents or agency, mm-hmm. um, make sure you read Romans 5 as well. It's yeah. supernatural, inerrant commentary, if you will, better than commentary, but it is right. also commentary on the Genesis account and what happens there. So I'll just read a little bit. Maybe I'll read just a little bit from Romans chapter five. And in verse 18, it says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, there's the negative uh, legal uh, standing before God for all men. So one act of righteousness, one act of law, obedience, law, keeping righteousness leads to justification and life for all men all those he represents in the context of Romans 5 and the whole. For as by one man's disobedience, first Adam, the many were made sinners, made sinners in the eyes of God before the court of God. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous, Mm. made righteous in the eyes of God before the court of God. So it's the one and the many, and we have the two representatives, uh, and Adam is under a covenant of works. He fails, um, and Jesus is the one who's successful on behalf of all he represents, and so we have justification. Now, Pat, I notice it's not called a covenant. Oh, thank you, Mike I mean, the Biblicist. Yeah, well, I'm just trying <laughs> to make sure. But if it looks sure. like a dog and barks like a dog and <laughs> begs like a dog, it's probably not a hippo. <laughs> it's probably not. So it, it's, it's without question, it's covenantal, covenantal relationship, right. federal I've met people who say they believe in federal headship and not covenantal headship, and that's just a bunch of nonsense is what that is because they mean the same thing. Now, if we wanted to accommodate biblicists, we could go to Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, but like Adam, they, Israel, transgressed the covenant. Yeah. So there's that, and we could look at other texts as well, but we're probably dragging a little bit. We probably need to keep things going. We can recommend episode 38 on the Covenant of Works with J.V. Fesco, and that's a good interview, kind of a good introduction. I would love to talk more about the Covenant of Works. It's one of my very, very favorite topics. Someday, let's do a whole episode on it. We should. But for now, let's see that John Owen saw it as biblical. He promoted it. He defended it. And he brought it to bear upon the controversies of his day. Right. Even as we'll see next time when he deals with justification, it has a whole lot to do with the covenant of works. Yeah. And I will say that when people don't have a firm grasp or a strong commitment to the covenant of works as biblical... Nine times out of 10, and I'm being gracious, Mm -hmm. I suspect, I'm suspicious, they're going to be weak on the Protestant doctrine of justification. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, I'm throwing that out there. 
And Pat, along those same lines uh, with justification, we see uh, that those who may deny the covenant of works, there's a blurring of law and gospel. Ah, good job. A lot of gospel happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely the case. So nine times out of 10, if you're not clear on the covenant of works, you probably don't have a robust law gospel distinction. I know our Lutheran friends, if we have Lutheran friends out there, might uh, might give us a little pushback because they may not be so keen on covenant theology, but they do like law gospel gospel. distinction. So, but generally speaking in the Reformed tradition, law gospel, covenant of works, covenant of grace, they go hand in hand. So Pat, we've been talking about the covenant of works, which is a pre-fall situation and agreement, right, between God and Adam. Yes, sir. So now post-fall, what's the situation that we have? Post-fall, we have the cow broken. The cow is broken. I talked to a church member. He'll go unnamed other than Chris. (laughs) This last week, he he was talking about the cow. I I read Fesco's book on the cow, and I did like the double, triple take (laughs) last Sunday, and I was like, say what? And I said, oh, covenant of works. He said the same to me a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Okay. And when I'm writing things, like in books, I do abbreviate C-O-W, but I've never heard it actually uttered oh <laughs> the covenant of works the oh, cow man. it just it just doesn't sound right no. at least it's not the pig and some kind of unclean animal from right. the old, old testament but yeah so post fall cow's broken where are we at <laughs> it's the core versus the cow okay well one fascinating thing that owen does is owen does talk about the fact that uh, free will is gone and free will and but there needs to be nuancing. So once the fall happens, uh, free will is gone. But Owen would say there never really was any ultimate free will because you're always under the sovereign hand of God to act under him yeah. in, according to his sovereign purposes and designs. So there is that. But to go a little further, free will in the sense that Adam had it. Sure. So there's no more good morality, if you will. Yeah. So Truman says this, he says, human beings after the fall still freely do what seems good to them. So here on the Pactum, we do believe in free will, unless you mean what most evangelicals mean. (laughs) (laughs) People aren't free to do good because they don't do good anymore. They only act according to their nature Nature, and by nature we're children of wrath. But I'll keep reading, uh, or I'll read that again because Pactum listeners no doubt now really have their attention riveted on what I'm about (laughs) to say. Human beings after the fall still freely do what seems good to them, so they're still free in that sense. But their moral mind, intellect, and will has been so corrupted by sin that they are incapable of doing that which is good. And of course, given the vast gulf that exists between God and his creation, which the covenant of works was designed to bridge. Oh, I kind of want to go there, but we better Mm. not. That would belong earlier in our conversation. Uh, They are incapable of meriting any favor from God, given that the covenant is now shattered. Great word. That is a great word. Fantastic. Let's keep rolling and move on. Let's leave the covenant of works behind. Yes. Um, And even though we kind of don't want to, we want to keep talking about it. But now let's move on. Let's talk about the covenant of grace. Yes. Okay, ready? Let's do word searches. Got a $100 bill for everybody who wants to find (laughs) find covenant of grace. Uh, Similarly, just like the covenant of works with Owen in his day, as the covenant of works was already a well-worn path, it was something that was known and talked about and accepted uh, by Owen and others. 
by Owen's day, uh, Truman says the concept of the covenant of grace was well established in Reformed liter- literature and enjoyed clear confessional status. So this is, again, not something where Owen is bringing a new and novel concept. It's not something that's all of a sudden been thought up, uh, but this is something that is accepted and known. Yep. If you're Reformed, if you are part of the Reformed tradition, if you're this kind of confessional Christian, uh, it's just... It's it's part of the fabric of your being, of mm. your theology. Right. There's a covenant of works. There's a covenant of grace. Um, and sometimes when people say, well, how, again, we, can't, we don't have a covenant of grace in the Bible. Well, one thing's for sure. The relationship between sinners and God, elect sinners and God, mm-hmm. is that you will be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the finished work of Christ alone. Yeah. Uh, from start to finish, there's no way around it in the old, in the new. There's only one way to be saved, and it's only by grace. And there's a better way to – there's a more technical, detailed way to argue for the covenant of grace. But I do find that persuasive for people who need to understand the concept. Sure, yeah. So let's at least start there and say this covenant of grace deals with God's relationship with the elect, this formal relationship, and he is going to save them and save them by his grace based upon what his son will do on their behalf, based upon his gracious provision. Yeah, and Owen in his day had to do a little bit of pushback for those who were saying, sure, it's a covenant of grace, uh, emphasizing that grace part, but you know they're tinkering around with it a little bit and trying to add uh, some conditions. Sure, it's by grace, but here's some conditions that need to be met. Ah, uh, yeah. And so there's some pushback uh, Owen gives and says there are there is zero, none. There are no conditions in the sense of a prior requirement uh, that have to be met in. Because if there were, it wouldn't be a covenant of grace. Yep, because sometimes people try to smuggle things in. They say, oh, yeah, grace, grace, grace. But then somehow there's a, a condition you have to meet ahead of time sure, yeah. to merit grace, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. And obviously that's a foul, and Owen has to address that kind of foul. Yeah. Now, he is willing to say, and I like it that Truman bring, brings this out, he's willing to say there may be conditions in, but not conditions of mm. So once you're in, you're a part of, there may be conditions for you. You're supposed to live a certain way because yeah. you belong. Sure. That's one thing, but not conditions to get in. Yeah, right. Not even, and I would say, I'm pretty confident, not even, not even condition, conditions to stay in, mm. but there are obligations for you once you're in. Right. At least yeah. that's how I would understand it. Not an Owen scholar. Uh, someday there'll be Truman scholars. Mm. Yes, there I'm will. I'm not one of those either. No. I think we can move on, Mike. Let's move on to Covenant of Redemption. Yeah. The core, the C-O-R, the Covenant of Redemption has to be the favorite covenant when it comes to the pactum. It does, the pactum, The pactum loves them some pactum. Yes, we do. Right? So when we're talking about the pactum, we did an uh, an actual episode on the pactum on On the the pactum. pactum, Right. Episode what? 32. Episode 32, we talked about ourselves. Yes. (laughs) On that particular episode, we call ourselves the pactum because it's shorthand for pactum salutis, which is Latin for covenant of redemption. Right, yeah. So here's a great quotation from Richard Muller in his Dictionary of Latin and Greek theological terms. Hmm. I'm not recommending it or promoting it, saying every Christian needs to buy the book, but I have used it quite often. And uh, on the Pactum, we like to say the only Latin we know is from R.C. Sproul, and I'd have to say, or from this book by Richard (laughs) Muller. So it is helpful. But here's what Muller says regarding the Pactum Salutis. He says, Pactum Salutis, covenant redemption in Reformed Federalism, Mm -hmm. ah, covenant theology, the pre-temporal 
intra-Trinitarian. Mm. I think we used the same kind of verbiage I, yeah. when we did our episode. Yeah. Pre-temporal intra-Trinitarian agreement. Uh, there we go, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Kevin. So we, we are doing fine, fine, fine here. I better finish this. You should. Uh-huh. The pre-temporal intra-Trinitarian agreement of the Father and the Son concerning the covenant of grace and its ratification mm. in and through the work of the Son incarnate. Mm. So there's a definition of the covenant of redemption. So we actually do, it is actually a Trinitarian doctrine. Owen does a good job of making sure because yeah. some oppose the concept because it doesn't give enough attention to the spirit. Right, right. And Owen actually addresses that, that it is a Trinitarian doctrine, or as Muller says, intra-Trinitarian. Intra. Yeah. And so this section dealing with this topic is quite good in our book. Yeah, and as you just mentioned, that Owen does uh, work to emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit, even in this covenant of redemption. Uh, Here's a quote from the Truman book. Thus, the Father sends his Son out of love to the world to die for sinners, and in the actual accomplishment of that end lays the punishment due to our sins upon him. The Son voluntarily assumes the role of mediator assigned to him by the Father, becomes incarnate, and then offers himself as a sacrifice on behalf of the elect. Finally, the Holy Spirit is engaged in the work of incarnation and of Christ's earthly ministry, his ablation and his resurrection. Great. That's it. That's helpful. Yeah. All three members involved and emphasized. Yeah. I probably would also want to add the application when it comes yeah. to the work of the spirit. Right. I'm, I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter one. Right. And you see, see all three members involved in what we call the covenant of redemption. Right. And maybe one other great quotation, because Truman acknowledges that Owen goes out of his way to emphasize in his robust Orthodox Trinitarianism, that all three members are involved anytime any one member is involved. Mm, mm -hmm. He says this, where Owen does make a significant contribution is in his attention to the role of the Holy Spirit with reference to covenant, a point which represents a distinctly Trinitarian advance. He has been consistent with his basic premise that every external act of God is, in its deepest sense, an act of the whole Trinity. Hmm. So the Bible might emphasize, one, um, that Jesus raised—I will will raise it up. He'll raise himself up. But the Bible also, at other times, emphasizes the— Spirit at other times it's the Father. Right, all three are involved, but sometimes uh, the camera is focusing on one and not all three at the same time. Right, Mike, I think co- the covenant of redemption is a no-brainer because all three members are involved. It's something that God purposed before the foundation of the world. Uh, so, and you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all three involved in redeeming, and they're redeeming the elect. Right. It's it's a no-brainer even if we don't use that particular label, but it is one that people don't like if they don't like particular redemption. Sure. And I do think we may have mentioned this on our Pactum on the Pactum episode, but when you meet people who are, who are Arminian uh, in their thinking about the atonement, they're not going to like the covenant of redemption because the covenant of redemption is very particular. Mm. And so the son is not going to try to do something that the father didn't send him to do, sure. like make everyone savable. Right. He sends him to redeem elect sinners. Think yeah. Ephesians 1. Yep. The spirit, again, regenerates. The spirit applies. The spirit seals. Not everyone who's ever been born, 
but those who are the elect. Yeah. And so it, it is something that some people don't like if they are of an Arminian persuasion. Oh, mm. that's kind of hard that to was, say. Yeah, it sounded difficult. I was struggling. Well done, though. Maybe we circle back for a minute here to the beginning of the episode where you were a little bit confused talking about hermeneutics and assurance um, before we went through all these covenants. We've been talking about Owen, covenant theology, covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. How important is covenant theology in your estimation? When it comes to how important covenant theology is, let's think in terms of those who didn't like it in Owen's time. Hmm. And people who didn't like it were people who didn't like things like the assurance of salvation. So I think we should just let the cursor blink a little bit in our minds and think, Hmm. oh, people who don't like covenant theology in Owen's time didn't like it. At least one reason Mm -hmm. is because if it's true that Jesus is our federal head Hmm. representative, if it's true and his work is accomplished and done, then you absolutely can have assurance. Hmm. And so, and I think we should, and the Bible teaches that, and covenant theology only upholds that, complements that, provides the structure for that. Assurance can be had because Jesus' work is done and he brings justification through his obedience. Mm. Therefore, it's not about our obedience. We were disobedient in Adam, united to him, and now we're obedient in Christ, united to him by faith. So how important is covenant theology? It's of huge importance, massive importance. And when people lose their minds when it comes to assurance, Mm. um, I think they've lost their minds when it comes to theology, uh, when it comes to covenant theology, or maybe I should put it a different way. If you really want to defend, defend the doctrine of assurance, the biblical doctrine, the biblical reality of assurance, eventually in time, hopefully sooner than later, mm. you're going to say covenant theology is where you find the answers. Yeah, yeah. And that goes also for justification, which we're talking about next time when you really start digging in and you need to defend the doctrine of justification, the good, capable, able defenders are not the the opponents of covenant theology. They are the covenant theologians, which is really how I got into this whole thing, how I became mesmerized and impressed and convinced of classic biblical covenant theology. It's because you do a deep dive on justification, and before you know it, you say, oh, Adam, representation, Mm. covenantal relationship, last Adam, representation, covenantal relationship, it's unstoppable, it's sure, covenant of redemption. It becomes rather amazing, and it is important. And I'll just make this confession. I would not trust my former self who did not affirm covenant theology. Hmm. I'm thankful I knew some things, but I wouldn't trust my former self. And sadly, I wouldn't trust my former self even as a, even as a pastor hmm. um, if I met my former self, which would be kind of weird. <laughs> Because of assurance, because of the gospel, because of sola fide. And not only that, it helps us to interpret the Bible in a sane way. So we have the covenant of redemption Mm -hmm. before time. Uh, That's significant because then when time begins and it's recorded in scripture, we're we're already looking for how this is going to play out. Right, yeah. So we're reading the whole Bible knowing there's a covenant of redemption. Right. And we're reading the whole Bible knowing there's a covenant of works. We're no, and, and everyone's under condemnation in the first Adam post-fall. We're reading the whole Bible knowing that the only way to ever be saved is by grace alone because of our covenantal relationship with God, which is a covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. Mike, it changes everything. Yeah, it does. It and really it, really does. Do, it really does affect our hermeneutics, 
the other kind of hermeneutics are harmeneutics. You're going to harm yourself. <laughs> you're going to harm yourself and you're going to harm others if you don't subscribe to, if you don't affirm these theological covenants. Sure. I can't stress that enough. And so if you're a pastor and we have pastor friends who tune into the pactum, mm-hmm. uh, my, my passionate appeal to you is that you would search these things out and come to research and know and own these things and affirm these things because you're going to be a better pastor. Mm. You're going to be a better exegete. You're going to be a better expositor. You're going to be a better shepherd. You're going to understand how to assure people or, or point them to how they can be sure. Mm-hmm. Everything in so many ways changes. It's hard enough to be a good faithful, good and faithful pastor when you have gospel going on. Right. Uh, and it's hard enough to be a good expositor when you don't know law from gospel, covenant of works from covenant of grace, uh, or how to interpret the Bible from a redemptive historical, historical perspective because of the covenant of, re- of redemption. Hmm. It's really, really going to help you. And, and I'll just say this as well. You don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> um, I, 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 your secret, your secret's safe with us. Uh, we will keep your secret, but these things will only help you. Right. And if yeah. you're not a pastor, I would encourage you to love your pastor, pray for your pastor, do everything you possibly can to help your pastor so that he might get this, mm. so that he might understand this. Sure. Uh, and if you're looking for a pastor, find a pastor who, if you say, pastor, do you believe in the covenant of works? Will say yes without qualification, without flinching, without having to say, "Let me look that up and right. figure out what it is." Mm-hmm. These are these are ABCs, one, two, threes, kind of basic things that we need to own. I'll confess, I haven't always owned them. I'll also admit, I'm still trying to understand better. But these are real basic things that should be taken for granted if we're Protestants, if we're Reformed, if we're Christian Bible teachers, Bible scholars, Bible students. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up the episode, we want to suggest some resources to you if you're interested in learning more about covenant theology. But before we get to our list of resources, Pat, I would ask you, would you recommend the chapter that we just read in Carl R. Truman's book about John Owen to anyone to learn about covenant theology? Not in a million years. I wouldn't recommend this chapter. I was reading the chapter and I thought to myself, dude, I'm a music major. What in the world? (laughs) What is this? There are so many hard, big words and concepts, but it was good for me. It was good, you know? (laughs) It's hard. How many times did you curse my name? Zero. Okay, good. good. Zero. Uh, The chapter is impressive. It really, I mean, it's intense. I I can't recommend, there are some some of you who should read this, um, but most of you should not read this. Right. The the chapter is impressive because he Truman is doing a deep dive in Owen's theology of covenants, mm-hmm. and he's figure, he's addressing current debates. He's addressing debates that came after Owen. He's bringing bringing Owen to bear upon all sorts of things, yeah. anticipating all kinds of arguments and all kinds of pushback, and so it's really not a good introduction to classic covenant theology. Right. It's more of a defense. It's more of a musing. It is fascinating. It is, yep. Um, Truman, he's on a whole nother level of smart. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. So let's not do that, but let's recommend other resources. So right, yep. Pactum listeners, Lewis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology is a great 
thing for your bookshelf Mm -hmm. and you can learn about the covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. Uh, I'm thankful that I was required to read that in seminary. I'm so thankful for that. So Louis Burkhoff, another great thing about him is he's not alive anymore, so he can't change his views. So at least there is that. We also like sacred bond by Michael Brown and Zach Keel. Uh, it's very simple, very, um, approachable, easy to read. Yep. That's a good one. Uh, Fesco, John Fesco was on with us and talked about the Covenant of Works. He has a new book called Adam and the Covenant of Works. You can go there if you want a little bit more deep end, yep. but not crazy stuff. He also has a book on the Covenant of Redemption called The Trinity and the Covenant of Redemption. Again, a little bit more substance, a little bit deeper, but not crazy stuff. Right. And then you also have something that might be helpful to our listeners that you've written, Covenant Theology for the Uninformed, Unsympathetic, and Misinformed. Oh, that's my dissertation. Your dissertation, yeah. It's available on our Omaha Bible Church website. We'll make sure to put the link along with links to all these resources in our show notes for this yep, week. Yep, and my target audience is basically biblicists. Yep. Uh, so let's prove this with the Bible, prove this uh, for those who don't think it's in the Bible or or have no clue. So it's not the greatest thing in the whole world. Probably needs to be turned into a book and edited from a non um, dissertation kind of format. But if you're that kind of person who was trained like I was trained, that if it you can't find it in a word search, it's probably not true. Right. Yeah. Uh, the dissertation will be online for you. Also, yep. see the confessions, uh, whether it would be the Westminster Confession or the London Baptist Confession or other confessions, uh, depending on what kind of confession you like. Right, right. Uh, you'll see these theological covenantal fingerprints in those confessions. Well, we want to thank you all for joining us here on this Pactum episode, Owen the Covenantalist. We want to mention that you can always be in touch with us online on Twitter at The Pactum and on Instagram at The Pactum Theology. You can be emailing us connect at thepactum.org. We're getting ready to have another Pactum Responsum episode coming up shortly. So we hope you can join us next week as we look at Owen and Justification. Oh, I can't wait. Owen and Justification. That's why I actually bought this book. Okay. So it's going to be... It's going to be great. Vonderbar. (laughs) We'll see you here next time on... The Pactum. The Pactum.